Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is October 9th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Today is Friday, January 3rd. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Thousands of U.S. troops now heading to the Middle East after a U.S.-led airstrike killed Iran's second most powerful man. Iran, meanwhile, vowing harsh revenge as cities here in the U.S. beef up security in the wake of the attack. And another foreign policy crisis for the Trump administration, North Korea releases new propaganda amid rising tensions with the U.S. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with stunning news breaking overnight. Shockwaves through the Middle East and around the world after a U.S. airstrike in Iraq ordered at President Trump's direction kills Iran's top general. We begin... It all began days ago, last Friday. Iranian militia killed a U.S. contractor in Iraq. The U.S. retaliated with an airstrike Sunday that killed 25 militia members. On Tuesday, the Iranian-backed militia group and its supporters stormed the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, a siege that lasted two days, ending yesterday after U.S. soldiers deployed tear gas to control the crowd. Then hours later, late last night, a US, the U.S. killed one of Iran's most powerful men. It was a fiery scene right near Baghdad's international airport. The attack targeting a motorcade carrying the general who had just arrived in Iraq. The U.S. saying the strike was necessary to prevent an imminent attack. We're covering every angle of this developing situation, and we begin with reactions in Washington, D.C. Janet Rodriguez has those details. Janet? Lorraine, the Trump administration defending their actions today, saying that today we are a safer world for it for this attack. Now, the president last night, while the attack was happening, was very silent. He only tweeted a picture of the U.S. flag. We didn't know what was going on at the time, but today when he announced the attack and the results of so. Soleimani's death. He did say this in a tweet. The General Soleimani has killed or wounded thousands of Americans that was plotting to kill more. He goes on to say, and I quote, that he should have been taken out many years ago. Now, Secretary Mike Pompeo did go on TV this morning. He did the rounds of live TV defending the attack and saying that this was the right time for it. This is what he had to say. The American people should know the President Trump's decision to remove Qasem Soleimani from the battlefield saved American lives. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he was actively plotting in the region to take actions, a big action as he described it, that would have put dozens if not hundreds of American lives at risk. Uh, we know it was imminent. This was an intelligence-based uh, assessment uh, that drove our decision-making process. But no one has really explained what that imminent attack might have been. And the Pentagon has not made any comments on the actions. Now they are just saying that they will be sending more troops to the region. About 3,000 additional troops will deploy to that Middle East. And in Congress here, they are questioning President Trump's actions, not because of the results. Everyone is praising uh, basically praising Soleimani's death. They do recognize his brutality, but Democrats are asking why now and why the gang of aid, those aid leaders, both Republican and Democrats, were not notified before the attack. 
Chuck Schumer, the leader, the minority leader in the Senate, taking to the floor this afternoon and saying that the president's actions do have consequences and that this could drag us into an all-out war with Iran, something that the U.S. would not want to see and something that uh, he says that the president Trump has called against because he wants to take us out of all wars in the in the world. So Democrats, we know that some of them, especially those in the Foreign Relations Committee, will be breached. Uh, will be briefed this afternoon as to what happened and the main question is what that imminent attack will be and how Iran will respond to the U.S. Back to you. Janet, do we know when the president is set to return back to Washington, D.C. after his holiday break? Right. Not until next week. And the president has not made any public comments today other than those tweets. We are expecting to hear from him possibly later, later this afternoon. But as of right now, he has not gone on camera. He has had Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, do that for him. Thank you, Janet Rodriguez in Washington, D.C. And now moving on with reactions in Iran and Iraq and also details on the man killed, Qasem Soleimani, Iran's top general, the second most important person in the Iranian government after the supreme leader, of course. His large ring still on his hand used to identify him. Qasem Soleimani was the commander of Iran's Quds force and a right-hand man to the Ayatollah. Soleimani is known as the architect of Tehran's proxy wars in the Middle East, a hero in Tehran for his battlefield exploits dating back to the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s and the U.S. war in Iraq, where his Quds force is responsible for the deaths of hundreds of U.S. troops in Iraq, according to the State Department. A mix of CIA and special operations, the Quds Force conducts operations and leads fighters throughout the region, including in Syria's civil war to support the brutal dictator Bashar al-Assad. In Iran, thousands hitting the streets in protest, chanting anti-U.S. slogans and setting fire to Israeli flags. Those who imagine by martyrdom of people like General Soleimani, the tree of resistance would wither are absolutely Absolutely wrong and should be rest assured that this tree will get bigger and bigger every day. Enemies of Islam, Muslims and resistance will be uprooted too for sure. Hassan was not just a warrior or commander, he was the hope of the oppressed people all around the world. Iraq is a key ally to the U.S., but its leaders are enraged for the attack they say came with no warning. The most powerful Shiite religious leader on Friday said the U.S. had committed a blatant violation of Iraqi sovereignty. These incidents foreshadow that the country is set to face very difficult times ahead. So we call upon all concerned parties to exercise restraint and act wisely. In the car with Soleimani was a top Iraqi leader of pro-Iran militia Abu Mar al-Mudani's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo blamed him for orchestrating the assault on the U.S. Embassy on New Year's Eve. Joining me now, Joseph Umide, a counterterrorism expert and the executive director of the Center for a Secure Free Society. Joseph, General Soleimani was a popular and charismatic person, well-liked in his country. How big of a blow is this for Iran? 
this is a tremendous blow to Iran because, as you mentioned, he's a very important figure in the hierarchy of Iran that exceeds just the Quds force of Iran, which is he was directly in charge of. And the reason for that is because one of the mandates of Iran since the dawn of the revolution in 79 is to export the revolution worldwide. And the individual that's been exporting this revolution worldwide for the last 20 years is General Qassam Soleimani. He, act, he was active in Syria, in Yemen, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Africa, in Latin America, even with cells inside the United States. So he is one of the major uh, supporters of international terrorism worldwide. And I think that this has caught Iran by surprise and, for, and by extension is going to provoke a reaction from Iran uh, in, in sometime in the future. Joseph, as I was explaining at the beginning of the show, a U.S. contractor was killed last Friday. That led to a series of events. And now the United States uses a drone attack to kill a top Iranian commander. Was that too much of an escalation? No, I don't believe so. I mean, one of the things we've learned over the last 40 years is that whether you uh, provoke or don't provoke, attack or don't attack Iran, they're going to attack you. And that's a hard fact that we learned when dealing with the Ayatollah since 1979. And so what we've seen just in the last year, in 2018, we've seen 19 acts of aggression against either U.S. forces, U.S. interests, or U.S. allies in the Middle East, uh, whether that's uh, 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 petroleum ships in, in, in the Strait of Hormuz or American drones uh, operating near in Iraq. They've uh, been taking the fight to the United States for many, for many, many months, especially in 2019. So I think this was a, a response and a, a clear red line that I think President Trump is, is drawing is that if you kill Americans, then Iranian forces will be killed as well. The Trump administration, now that you mentioned the president said that by killing Soleimani, they stopped plans to attack American diplomats and service members. The general was a major threat. Are we better off now that he's dead? Well, definitely, I think we're in a, basically a debilitating this international terror network worldwide. Uh, Qassam Soleimani had proxy forces that stretched from uh, the Western Hemisphere to the Middle East, to Africa, to uh, Europe and, and Asia. So he had a global presence uh, because of his ability to compartmentalize his networks. So I think we're better off, but nonetheless, we have to be prepared. The, I know many people are worried that this could escalate to, to a, a direct conflict with Iran or potentially even a world war. The best way to prevent a war is to be, prepa be prepared for war. And I think that this shows that we are prepared for any aggression that Iran may continue to take and that there will be consequences. The United States is not looking for any kind of war with Iran. But Iran has to understand that they cannot uh, provoke the United States into a conflict. And Joseph, now that you mention war, the president has been very aggressive with Iran, pulling out of the <laughs> Iran nuclear deal and imposing serious economic sanctions. Now Iran is promising revenge. What type of revenge? Cyber warfare, proxy wars. What are we looking at? That's a great question, because I think that's the question on the minds of many, including uh, those within the intelligence community, as well as just the general public. Uh, I think there's two tracks that they can take in terms of the response. One would be a conventional response, which is something they do all the time, which is a proxy attack from somewhere in the Middle East. Obviously, Iraq would be the most uh, likely uh, target. I think they have a Shia uh, uh, community there that they've penetrated that they can use to uprise against U.S. Uh, presence and interest in, in the region. But I think an unconventional uh, method would be to attack us outside the Middle East, whether that be in Africa, Latin America, or even within the United States. It's important to note that the IRGCQF, the Quds Force of Iran, has that capability. So we have to be prepared for that scenario as well. And as we move forward, do we have any allies? Because in Israel, Netanyahu is seeking immunity for corruption charges. Trump doesn't really have a very warm relationship with our allies in Europe. Where does that leave the United States? 
I think th this is the kind of action that could solidify more allies because what people don't understand is Qasem Soleimani wasn't as popular as he projected himself to be. As much like Putin in Russia, Putin has this great image of power and, and strength, but when you take away the facade, he's really a corrupt person that violates human rights. And I think in Syria, in uh, uh, Iraq, in, in Jordan, uh, some of the Arab community is going to look at this as a sign of strength, and that's one sign that they look for in their alliance with the United States. So I think this is the kind of action that people have criticized Trump in the past for not being strong enough with Iran when they were attacking uh, us in, in, in the Middle East, that uh, this could kind of solidify some of the alliances that we've been building over time. Well, thank you so much, Joseph Umida, for your perspective and your input during this time of crisis. Absolutely, thank you for the invitation. And with turmoil growing in the Middle East, stocks are falling sharply. Financial stocks fell the heaviest as investors bought up U.S. government bonds, sending their yields lower. Technology stocks, airlines, and other companies that rely on consumer spending also took heavy losses as the market pulled back from record highs. And the deadly U.S. airstrike in Iraq is also impacting oil prices. Brent crude surged more than $2.50 a barrel to almost $70, and its biggest jump since Saudi oil fields came under attack in September. Oil company stocks also climbed, with Shell and BP up 1% or more in Europe. Meanwhile, another foreign policy crisis for the Trump administration. The regime of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has released new propaganda aimed raising tensions with the U.S. and threats from Kim. Kim saying this week that there will uh, never be denuclearization on the Korean peninsula if the U.S. persists in its hostile policy towards his country. The dictator also indicating that his country could soon resume testing nuclear weapons. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest. The new year bringing bold strokes of bravado from North Korea's supreme leader. As his propaganda arm releases new video of a recent visit Kim Jong-un made to the revered Mount Pektu on a white stallion, complete with sound effects of the horse's gallop. The dictator brashly declares that his country will no longer be bound by his self-declared halt to the testing of nuclear bombs and long-range missiles. As the world sees fresh video of Kim's officers standing in the water, then Kim posing with his wife Rijol Su in a snow-banked stream, we also get an ominous new warning from the despot. The world will witness a new strategic weapon to be possessed by the DPRK in the near future. What kind of weapon could that be? Many of us are expecting some kind of ICBM launch, uh, whether it's a, an existing missile that they have or a variant or perhaps even a new ICBM like solid fuel. They could do additional submarine launches. They could do land-based medium range. They could do intermediate range missiles. They could, with an ICBM, finally demonstrate that they have a re-entry vehicle capability. That would protect a warhead as it comes back into the Earth's atmosphere. Despite the cheerful propaganda of Kim emerging from a photo op on Mount Pektu with soldiers frantically applauding, analysts say the young leader is likely frustrated that his nuclear diplomacy with President Trump has not paid off for him. There has been no lifting of sanctions. There has been no progress on ending the Korean War. And there's been no progress in having regular diplomatic negotiations without it being cut short. And so, frankly, Kim Jong-un doesn't have much to show for right now. Venting that frustration, Kim's regime imposed a deadline 
for more progress toward a nuclear weapons deal with the U.S. to be made by the end of 2019 or else. The regime threatened a so-called Christmas gift to America, which many experts believed would be the testing of a long-range missile. That has not come to be just yet. And even with his latest New Year's threats, analysts pointing out Kim did not say he's walking away from diplomacy with President Trump. What Kim Jong-un has done by signaling assertiveness and aggressiveness, but also leaving the door for diplomacy, is to say, look, we want to negotiate as much as you guys do. And the president, even as Kim's latest threats were trickling in from Pyongyang, said he's still banking on his personal relationship with Kim. He likes me. I like him. We get along. I think he's a man of his word, so we're going to find out. But I think he's a man of his word. But some believe if Kim tests a long-range missile soon, Trump and his team should no longer be so accommodating. The U.S. should, should stop our own self-imposed constraints on military exercises. We've canceled at least 13 exercises. That's degrading. U.S. deterrence and defense capabilities. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Analysts say if Kim Jong-un tests a long-range missile soon, a big challenge for Trump is going to be getting tough with Kim without overreacting. One way could be targeting Kim with specific sanctions, like going after the Chinese banks that are suspected of laundering his money. We're learning more about the clashes that erupted between armed groups and police in Nuevo Laredo across the border from Texas. The shootings and explosions spread over a wide area across the city until early hours of yesterday morning and could even be seen from the American side of the dividing line. David Romo brings us the latest. Shootings and explosions at several points in Nuevo Laredo left hundreds of residents trapped in the streets, at shopping centers and businesses. The first attack was on the hotel where dozens of state police officers were staying. We are being attacked inside the Hotel Villarreal. The confrontations are intense. We are in the middle of crossfire. The attacks continued until late at night when several businesses were also set on fire. The explosions and gunfire were heard even in the neighborhoods in the Texan city of Laredo. Listen, that was a bomb. Look, look. On social networks, the U.S. consular authorities and the Webb County Sheriff's Office called on people not to cross the border into Mexico. Different sources point out that the attacks were revenge for police shooting three members of the cartel in another confrontation, with one of the leaders of the organization among the injured. Through his Twitter account, the governor of Tamaulipas blamed the Northeast cartel for the attacks and said they are chasing them with all available resources. A few weeks ago, he had already labeled this group as narco-terrorists. Through acts of violence, 